This is Lori LeBay with Alzheimer's Speaks. Um, I hope you're enjoying the day. We are freezing cold here in Minnesota. We got our uh, first uh, snowstorm the other day, and now now we're kind of down below zero and, and hovering down. Um, before we get started today, I always like to just tell people a little bit about us because we're always getting new listeners around the world. And bottom line, Alzheimer Speaks is an, an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort worldwide. I started this company just due to my mom's own journey of 30 years with dementia and just felt a need for different techniques and platforms and resources to help um, not only those with dementia, but their loved ones and professionals as well to understand it a little bit more. So here we really focus on sharing knowledge and having just real simple everyday conversations about life with dementia, how we deal with it, how we can help remove stigmas attached to memory loss, and let everyone continue to live purpose-filled lives. Um, At our core, We believe collaboration is really the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. And I know it's working thanks to each and every one of you. You see, your clicks, your likes, your shares has gotten us some great recognition. In fact, the other other week we were um, recognized by Maria Shriver as being an architect of change. Um, Share Care and Dr. Oz has also recognized Alzheimer's Speaks as the number one influencer online regarding Alzheimer's. Um, And again, that's because of you guys. You know, um, a lot of times we don't think we're very powerful or that a couple second little click or like is going to have a very big effect, but it actually has a huge impact. You see your Facebook friends, your Twitter tribe, your LinkedIn colleagues, your Pinterest peeps, Everybody is dealing with this dementia in some way, shape, or form. And the more information we can have out there and available to people, the easier it's going to be for those in the trenches. So I would encourage you, um, and again, I want to thank you uh, for your support, but would encourage you to continue um, sharing not only the radio show, but our kind of mothership, alzheimerspeaks.com, where you can find information on our blog You can find information about Dementia Chats, which is a webinar where our experts actually have dementia and many other um, offerings that we have. Um, You also might be interested to know who the heck do we interview and why. Um, I'm a big believer that we need to hear all voices. So um, we listen and have guests on who are actually diagnosed with the disease. We have uh, family members on. We have professional care partners, we have researchers, we have advocates, um, we have organizations and businesses, um, entrepreneurs, authors, movie directors, everybody, um, everyone's voice needs to be heard because we're all coming from different angles and have different insights. And again, this is a disease we have to work through as a community at large. 
And that's one of the things that I really love about our next guest. Um, Jade Angelica, um, she designs workshops and services and trainings called um, Healing Moments, and she offers presentations throughout the country. Um, she is also a spiritual um, advisor and helps people with their individual spiritual paths, um, as well as doing some group work. She's written a play called The Forgiving, uh, The Forgetting, um, Hope and Healing for Alzheimer's. And she authored the book called Where Two Worlds Touch, A Spiritual Journey Through Alzheimer's Disease um, and also Meeting Alzheimer's, um, which is a companionship uh, of the journey itself. Um, she's, uh, she's very innovative, um, in her space, um, and just a real compassionate soul. So I want to welcome, uh, welcome you to the show, Jade. Thank you, Lori. Thank you so much. I'm really very, very pleased to be here with you today. Well, before we get started in some of our talking points, I always like to give people a little background about how did you get into this space? Um, were, were you um, personally touched by dementia um, with family or friends? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, and my story is similar to yours. I was drawn into this work because of my role as a caregiver for my own mom, but my connection to Alzheimer's goes back even further to that. Further than that, when I was a uh, in college, um, my mother's oldest sister was diagnosed with dementia, Alzheimer's before we even really knew what it was. This was in the in the 1970s, and um, it was very frightening to everyone particularly to me, visiting her in a nursing home. And her then the middle sister, mom's second sister, also um, was diagnosed with and died from dementia. So I was very, very frightened by the whole topic. And when my mom was diagnosed, I, I, was, I was in that space of, of being very scared. And so it took, I, I, I say to people, I was sort of, catapulted into a vo uh, uh, into the space of not avoiding it anymore when I was called upon to to take care of my mom. So the book that I wrote, Where Two Worlds Touch, is actually a, a kind of a spiritual memoir of what I discovered as I was going through that, that process with my mom. Wow. Um, and I have to ask you this question because people ask it of me all the time, and I'm always interested in other people's answers. Um, for you, since, you know, you've got, it was your mom, but also other family members, do you worry about that for yourself now? Um, a lot of people ask me that, and um, I actually do not, not so much. Um all of my family members were uh, quite a bit older when they uh, were diagnosed with dementia. My mom was 81, and it's my understanding that the the, the hereditary uh, Alzheimer's is usually early onset. People who have the early onset Alzheimer's are usually the ones that uh, their their children are usually the ones that will have that gene. Mm -hmm. So I I've 
I've chosen actually to not worry about it for a couple reasons. I'm the research, the current research now is showing a connection between environmental factors, lifestyle factors, diet, um, and I many years ago chose to live a very healthy lifestyle. So I avoid exposure as much as I can to environmental toxins and chemicals. Um, I eat a really healthy organic diet, uh, mostly um, mostly vegetarian, and I exercise, I meditate. So I've really chosen that healthy lifestyle, which many researchers are now showing uh, is a deterrent mm-hmm. toward Alzheimer's. So the other reason I've chosen not to worry about it is because of my my spiritual approach to life is if I get it, I get it. Mm-hmm. And I will, you know, accept and, and deal with it at that time. Okay, great. Uh, you yeah. kind of have the same philosophy as me, as I, except I'm probably yeah. not living as healthy of a life <laughs> as you are. <laughs> I haven't put everything into practice, needless to say. But yeah. um yeah, it's it's one of those things that, you know, we don't have control over are we going to get it or aren't we going to get it? And there's some things that, that we can do that they think might help, but nobody really knows for sure. Um, right. But I think that that's wonderful that you've um, instituted all those healthy lifestyles into yours um, to try to offset that. So that's, that's great. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate you sharing I do, that. Mm-hmm. Y- yeah, I do want to say... Um, one of the things that motivated me to develop and lead my workshops, particularly for professional caregivers, um, are the workshops that we lead are, um, you use the word innovative, and, and they're about a very creative way of communicating with people with Alzheimer's and dementia using improvisational theater techniques. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I I developed this program and am adamant about offering it for professional caregivers is because in my mom's nursing home, I live in Iowa, so I have the same kind of winter as you do, maybe not quite so bad. But in the wintertime, I couldn't walk outside with her after dinner. Mm -hmm. So we would walk up and down the long hallways of the nursing home. And sometimes I would glance into the rooms and I would see some of the residents there and I would just be hit with the realization that someday one of that could be me. I could be one of the residents in this nursing home. And I thought, you know, if I do have dementia, I would really appreciate it if the people who were taking care of me knew what was needed in order to take care of someone who had dementia. Mm-hmm. So that that has been one of my um real purposes of advocacy and I know that's one of your your goals too is advocacy around educating the general public family members of course but also the people who are working in care facilities not all of them really know the specialized care that's required for people with dementia so um that was one of the things I I kind of do fear that I might be in a nursing home Without and and people wouldn't know how to care for people with dementia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's a real concern. We've come a long way, but we still have a long way to go. I think with the with yeah. the whole thing. So, 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. Agree with you there. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you today about um, your work. And in your work, you focus on what remains for people with dementia rather than what's been lost. And that's a, that's yeah. a big shift. And I think one that's really positive. Can you tell people why you think it's important and what are some of the things that you've discovered that still remain that might surprise some people? Yeah, one one of the one of the things that uh, one of the reasons why I think it's important uh, to 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 notice what remains is because we're dealing with a, a cultural conditioning that that allows people to say things about people with dementia, such as um, you know Alzheimer's is a kind of death, or they're dead before they're dead. Um, one of the one of the things that people say about people with dementia still i mean this was left to us by adolf hitler um that people with dementia are use, useless eaters and i there was a an article in one of our local newspapers that really sparked me to pay attention to this it was a a reporter who was writing about advertising the walk to end alzheimer's and he was trying to be very creative, I guess, and he compared people with Alzheimer's to the Beach Boys. And mm-hmm. he said they were able to mount the stage but unable to offer anything new. And um, I was reading the newspaper while I was sitting at the rhythm time at my mom's nursing home watching all these people with dementia and I I thought you know he's wrong Mm -hmm. he's wrong they are able to offer new things and and he was the one who talked about them being empty shells and I'm like wait a minute Mm -hmm. these people aren't empty shells and it just made me look at what at what they could still do and um I, I wrote a letter to the editor of the newspaper and I said, you know, we can't keep spreading these kinds of falsehoods about people with dementia. And I, I just, this is, I, I, I wrote this list of things that they can do. Mm-hmm. They still have the potential to inspire us, teach us, love us, heal us, amuse us, befriend us, calm us, comfort us, touch us physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. They have the the capacity to energize us, enlighten us, empower us, forgive us, nurture us, open our hearts, bring out the best in us, and bring meaning and purpose into our lives. And, you know, I had this experience when we were when we were making the CD, um, Meeting Alzheimer's Companionship on the Journey. The woman who wrote one of the songs for this um, and I worked together very very closely. And when I took it over to her when it was completed, she made this comment to me. She said, you know, Jade, you have an interesting combination of, of skills. She said, you're, you're very organized and you're very sweet. And so I paused and I thought about that. And I said to her, you know, before I came here to take care of my mom, I was just organized. Mm-hmm. And this care for my mother brought out a compassionate side of me, a very caring, loving, kind, sweet side of me that as a, you know, academic professional, 
I hadn't really accessed before. And it created such a transformation in me that I don't, I mean, I'm sorry that my mom had to go through that, but I don't regret my companionship with her on the journey, not at all. It was it was just really, really an amazing experience for me. And she possessed all of those abilities to forgive me, to nurture me, even in the end stages of Alzheimer's. And I think if we as a culture think that people with dementia are dead before they're dead and they're empty shells, that it's just easier for us to cast them aside. Mm-hmm. But agree. if we believe that they're living souls and their lives still have meaning and purpose, which they do, then it's more important for us to visit with them and spend time with them and nourish them as well. So I just, I just felt like they also had a lot to teach us if we were to just open our hearts to the experience. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. Um, and so many people, you know, like, like you said, they just focus on the loss and, and you will, you will find whatever you're looking for. And so it really is a, a teaching that has to take place to get people to understand that there is so much more, um, to be found, but you have to look for it because it's, it's not going to, um, you know, you're not going to find it if you don't, if you choose not to look for it. So, um, exactly. and, and people have exactly. to, have to see others, I think, um, lead by example on that. I think that's how we shift culture. Um, and, you know, I see you as a, as a culture changer, um, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. can you just, desc- thank you. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe, um, your healing moments um, as combining, you know, spirit and art. Um, what do you really mean by that? And can you give us some examples of of that combination for our listeners? Sure. Um, the combination that, that we mean by spirit and art is the workshops that we've developed combine the spiritual practice of of mindfulness, which is, uh, I don't know, a different, different creative way of just talking about being observant, observing what's going on around us, observing what's going on within us, um, and observing you know, other people, for example, our loved ones with dementia. And the art part that we use in our, in our workshops is we actually teach caregivers how to implement the primary technique for communicating and connecting that professionals, experts in this field, have been recommending for 30 years. And that is to meet the person with dementia in his or her world. Mm -hmm. And so when we say that, and when these experts have been saying this for 30 years, some people, you know, people hear that, meet the person with dementia in his or her world, and some people will go, huh? Yeah. Like, I, wa- I walked into like, the living room. That's where she is. Okay. So now what? <laughs> yeah. 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 They, they, don't, they, they, they don't get it. And, and then some of them who do get it don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it, it is. It's easier said than done. So if we, for, if we, for example, um, well, I'll, I, can, I can tell you a story. Uh, 
I was spending some time with my mom. This was like my first in-depth time with her. I spent two weeks with her uh, in the middle stages of Alzheimer's while my sibling who was living with her went on vacation. And we were getting ready to go someplace. And we were going to visit her friend at the nursing home. And we were getting dressed and she came storming into the bedroom and she said, we can't go now. This is when the time when Millie comes to visit. Now, Millie was her older sister, the first one who died from Alzheimer's, and she'd been dead for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And my world, in my world, I would say, Mom, you know, Millie's not coming. She's dead. We mm-hmm. visited her grave yesterday. Don't you remember? Um, but in her world, Millie's coming. So I accepted what she said as valid, and I responded appropriately, and I said, well, knowing that we were still going to go to the nursing home, I said, what, what would you think if we put um, a note on the door and let Millie know where we were and when we come back, and then she can come in and wait for us? Mm-hmm. Mom said, oh, what a good idea. And I said, well, you go get some paper, and we'll write a note. So she was searching for paper, and while she was searching for paper, she forgot what her mission was about. It was time to go, and we went to the nursing home. So we, t- we teach people in our workshops how to do that, how to accept the reality of what their loved one has said, how to affirm their their beliefs, you know, how to validate their reality. And the the craft of improvisation reminds us to always make our scene partner look good. So in my world, I'm reminding her that she's mistaken, that she's forgotten, and I want to affirm her and build her self-esteem. And so this is one of the things that we really, really focus on teaching people to do, how to say yes. And when I say yes, I, I don't mean that we're encouraging people to necessarily always agree with people who have dementia, but we're encouraging them to affirm them and accept them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do a ser- our, our workshops are very experiential, and we do a series of exercises that slowly develop these skills. And by the end of the workshop, people are actually practicing this and having that aha moment that they're not just reading it in a book or hearing it in a lecture that says you need to meet the person in their reality. Um, they're actually having the opportunity to do that, to experience that. See, and I think that that's just the way most people learn, you know, if if yeah. we admit it or not. It just it sinks a little deeper into the soul when you actually practice it, and it's not just something, um, you know, that you read. It's not a statistic. It's not a... It's not a style. It's um. It's a. It, you know. It's a lifestyle, and it's and it's a choice that we have. Yeah. In, in terms of how to engage, um, where so right. many times things are pitched as be- best practices, and it really is about best lifestyle choices. Um, I agree. To engage, and um, because I think there's a lot of best practices that don't work. You know, people think they do, but if people don't understand them at the depth that they need to, then they're just doing a task. And there's there's yeah. a big difference in terms of that connectivity um, and, and I, how that plays out. 
Absolutely. And there's a there was a groundbreaking book that was written in 2004. It was actually the first book that I read about Alzheimer's. And in this book, this book gave me the idea to try doing improvisation with my mother. I was taking improvisation classes at the time. Mm-hmm. And why I was doing that is a whole nother workshop because I'm not the I'm not the spontaneous improvisation type. Mm-hmm. But I was able to learn this craft and I saw that it had incredible impl- implications for healing. It wasn't just about entertainment. It wasn't just about comedy. It wasn't just about being funny um, or outrageous. It was, wow, there was really, really possibility for healing there. So that's the piece I wove into the, the healing moments. But um, in, in learning to speak Alzheimer's, they talk about a habilitation therapy, a habilitation approach, and they identify, I believe it's six different domains that are important for maintaining quality of life for people with dementia. And some of them are like the social domain or the physical domain. But the most important, they say, is the area of communication and connection. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the Healing Moments program focuses on, is that domain of communicating and connecting. Because relationships with people with Alzheimer's and dementia are possible throughout the entire course of the disease. You know that. Mm -hmm. I know that from personal experience. And we've shared that now with other people who are beginning the journey. And I feel like it gives them hope. It's like all is not lost. Yep. Relationships can grow. People can grow even though they still have Alzheimer's. They're growing. So it, um, yeah, as long as they're breathing, as long as they're breathing, that soul is still there and a relationship is possible. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, too, is, um, and, I, and I speak to this, and I'm sure you do as well, is we have to learn how to communicate differently. So even when their words are yeah. gone, a lot of times people right. think, well, they can't communicate. And it's like, well, over 75% of our communication is nonverbal, so why are you tossing that out with the bathwater, you know, it's the, or the baby yeah. with the bathwater um, in that situation? You know, we have to... We have to do things differently, and um, right. you know we just take things for granted. And so I, you know, I love the the whole improv in learning new tools and highlighting, mm-hmm. you know, some things that we already have and some skills right. that are probably embedded in us, but we've just never ignited them. And mm-hmm. um, and to be able to have some fun, you know, and not Absolutely. take things so seriously because. Yeah. You know, people take this very seriously. This is a big job, and, and not that I'm trying to belittle that, but, you know, it's it's called life. And, you know, if you're going to live your life very serious, black and white, and stress about everything, you're, you know, your life's probably going to end up being a little shorter than it has to be. You know, just from a, you know, from the physics of it all and the damage that that can do to us, you know, um, let alone well, will it be a happy life. Yeah, and you know, I've been really inspired by some researchers. Um, one of the researchers that really inspired me is uh, a man from Australia named Stephen Millett. And his research, he calls people with dementia semiotic subjects. And what this means is that they communicate with signs and symbols, mm-hmm. but they're still communicating. So what we call behaviors, you know, in the nursing homes, they will call like acting out behaviors. Mm-hmm. 
most likely are people with dementia trying to tell us something. They're trying to communicate something to us. And I feel like it's up to us to encode their messages. And one of the things I felt strongly about dementia is that it will really challenge our, you know, our creativity and our, things like creativity and patience and compassion. And I think that if we further develop these, these skills, that does nothing but improve our own humanity in the world. And so I think that the challenges to creativity and compassion and um, uh, patience, if we, if we accept them, if we say yes to them, that's part of, of approaching life as an improviser is saying yes. And of course, this is a very spiritual concept too, saying yes to whatever comes our way, mm-hmm. not resisting it. And I, a lot of people are resisting the realities of dementia. And after I got over my initial fear and avoidance of the whole topic, I honestly wholeheartedly stepped into the world and accepted what was there. And another study out of New York um, showed that the only coping technique to relieve caregiver stress is acceptance. So the more we try to convince our loved ones that they don't have to go to work, or that that you know their spouse has passed away or that you know they they don't need to eat lunch you know the more we need to convince them of anything that is against their reality the more stress we're going to cause on them and for ourselves agree i definitely yeah. definitely agree with that um now, you, you've been working with researchers at the University of Iowa who have documented the retention of emotional memory, which I think is, you know, something that people don't really think about, um, but is so powerful. And, um, and so can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would be happy to. Um, the, first, the first study was done in, uh, it was published in 2010, uh, by a researcher named Justin Feinstein, who was working at, he was a graduate student at the University of Iowa. And I, I read about his research in the New York Times, and I thought, well, you know, he's right down the road. I'm going to contact him because he's, he was very adamant that this research is really a mandate to our society to, to care for people with Alzheimer's and dementia. He said it's not just a moral mandate, it's now a scientific mandate. You know, we really have to care for them um, because they have this life going on as they lose their cognitive skills, but their emotions remain throughout the course of their lives. And what they found was that um, this, this study was then replicated in 2014 by a researcher who's now out at Mass General. Her name is Edmarie Guzman Velez. And what they found is that people with dementia will feel happy or sad long after they have forgotten what made them feel happy or sad. Mm-hmm. So no memory whatsoever of an event, but the emotions remain. And what's specifically significant about this is that as the disease of dementia progresses, people will lose their ability to process emotions, 
and they'll lose their ability to soothe themselves. So if they are upset by something or frightened or angry or sad, they're kind of stuck in that. And it's up to us to to help soothe them when they're that way. But it's also up to us to try to keep or try to prevent from causing them to feel any kind of distressing emotions. This could be one of the reasons why people act out, why they get really angry, is something has happened and they can't tell us what it is. Mm-hmm. So um, they don't know, they don't remember anymore, and even if they did, they probably couldn't articulate it. So this is really, really um, amazing research. And one of the reasons why they were particularly interested in the Healing Moments program, and we have now engaged in a study of the Healing Moments program with these same researchers at the University of Iowa, is they're interested in it because they perceive it to be a practical application of their research findings because what we're trying to do is teach people to um, help people with Alzheimer's have more happy days than sad days, to help us not uh, cause anger and fear and uh, sad emotions mm-hmm. in this population. So the, this research has been ongoing for a couple of years, and we hope to have results within the next year to 18 months. So, so that's very exciting to see the, if this program actually can help people reduce their stress, caregivers reduce their stress, their anxiety, their um, depression, and improve their relationships with their loved ones and improve the relationships uh, the the person with dementia's cooperation. Um, but I do want to tell you the story of how this research came about because I think this is really important for caregivers to hear how important it is for us to keep telling our stories. So uh, Daniel Trinnell is the director of the research, the neuropsychology research at the University of Iowa, and he was at a medical conference. And a colleague of him, his came up to him and told him this story about his mother. He said that um, he visited his mother every Thursday afternoon. And it appeared that she didn't remember that he came. Like he, she, that night she would complain to the staff that her son never came to visit her. And the next morning he would call and she would say, why don't you ever come to visit me? And it just felt very clear to him that she was not remembering Mm -hmm. that he came. So one particular Thursday, he was very, very busy with work, and he couldn't get away. And he thought, well, it won't matter to her because she doesn't know the difference anyway. Mm -hmm. And so um, the next morning, the staff at the nursing home called him and said that his mother was really angry and really out of sorts and just... They couldn't get her to do anything or cooperate in any way, and and they just, you know, they wanted to let him know and see if he could help in any way. So he went over there, but that wasn't the, the point of the story. The point of the story that he told Dr. Trinnell was, you know, do you think that on some level she knew that I wasn't there and that she missed me? Mm-hmm. And Dr. Tennell brought that question back to him, to his, to his neuroscience lab, and that was how this research got developed, that, that 
created earth-shattering results is that so even though when we go to visit our loved ones is they may not exactly know who we are and they may not even remember that we were there but they are going to remember how we made them feel mm-hmm. they will feel happy that we have come yep and that um that validation, um, you know, it needs to be, it, this sounds really s- silly, but it needs to be enough for the rest of us. And, um, and and to get away from, well, they have to know my name, they have to give me eye contact, they have to be who who they were um, by my standards, whatever I'm going to decide yeah. those. I mean, you know, we're making up all these rules, and right. which they can't follow, um, in which they're not even told. Instead of just um, graciously living acceptingly, you know, side by side with this disease and and give ourselves credit for being much more than just a name, you know, just um, and I've run into this and I'm sure you have too, where I've had um, people ask me about my mom, you know, and does she know who I am? And and what I found in my journey was people asked me that for two reasons. Some people really wanted to know, and others just wanted to give me permission to never see her again because they didn't want to hear my story anymore because Mm -hmm. they were so uncomfortable. And I think as a society, we need to get rid of that. (laughs) You know, we we all need to become um, much more accepting and Look at it as an educational, a learning tool instead of this big, you know, fear monger um, and being so afraid of everything. You know, there's so much yeah. to learn. There's so many gifts wrapped in all of life um, as well as any type of disease. Dementia is no different. Um, you know, when you're on the journey, yeah, it's not something anybody would pick. But did you learn from it? Did, did it make right. you a better person? You know, that's, right. our, that's our own choice. Right. You know, how we're going to you know, frame that. Yeah, and, and Lori, I moved out to Iowa from Boston. Mm-hmm. I was in a, a doctoral program uh, in Boston, and uh, I was planning, thinking about planning to come out here to be my mom's companion on this journey because all of the other family members that lived here moved away. Mm-hmm. And she was all alone in a nursing home with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to colleagues and friends about coming out here to care for her. And they were shocked and astounded that I would give up my life to move to Dubuque, Iowa, to care for a person who didn't even remember who I was. Mm-hmm. And my initial response was well I still remember who she is Mm -hmm. and this was my mother and this in my opinion was her time of greatest need Mm -hmm. in her life she needed me now more than ever before Mm -hmm. Um, and so then after I got here and was spending time with her and the other people in the dementia wing where my mom lived, I started to question that she didn't remember me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, as the disease progressed, or that, or that, that the other people with dementia remembered their loved ones, I could, I could see it. Mm-hmm. I could, I absolutely witnessed it and experienced it. Maybe they didn't know exactly what the relationship was, but they knew we mattered. They mm-hmm. knew we were important to them, mm-hmm. and that was a beautiful thing. 
yeah, to that, see those relationships. That they were comfortable um, and content yep. or happy. I mean, those are all good things. Why do we push that away, you know, yeah. um, because somebody can't say our name? I mean, it's it's really, it's, it's kind of silly when you say it out loud, but it happens, <laughs> lot, but it happens, yeah. all, it happens all the time. Um, yeah. And the other thing that hit me when you were talking was, you know, talking about friends, because we're probably, you know, around the same age and stuff. You know, we always yeah. talk about the younger generation being so me-oriented, but chances are your friends were of your age. and yes. And they're... And they're being very me-oriented. You know, why would you give that up yourself? You know, mm-hmm. because you're gonna, you know, you're gonna lose out on, on all of this that you have, instead of looking at it in, um, in a bigger light. So that, um, I, I just, from a generational standpoint, that just hit me really strong when you were saying that, because um, we always kind of poo-poo that onto the younger generation and. Um, you know, the younger generation stepping up quite a bit in terms of their activism and, and things. So that's, I, I think that's going to be really interesting to watch as time progresses, uh, you know, especially regarding dementia and, um, you know, cause it's just such a, a big thing that we have to have to deal with. I want to talk about, um, there's so much to talk about with you, um, mm. your play. And your sure. DVD. So why don't you tell people a little bit about, you know, how, how they came to be? How did, how did you become a playwright, you know, when you were an academic, you know, and, and turned into a, a yeah. care partner? Yeah. Well, I've, I've always been very interested in theater. And um, partly because I, and this is another of my interest in art and using improvisation, I really do believe that art has the ability to open people, open their hearts um, in a way that allows us to more deeply touch their minds. And so um, I was working with a woman who, uh, uh, in Healing Moments, I was working with a woman who said, you know, we should, we should uh, put this into a play, the workshops and my, my book. We should, we should put this into a play. And so it's gone through several different renditions, but that's exactly what we did. So the, the, the script for The Forgiving and the Forgetting is loosely based on my story of my um, journey with my mom and the workshops that we developed. So it's what you would call a didactic play in that its goal is to both inspire and inform and also to give people some some hope in 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 this this journey that sometimes feels overwhelming and uh, scary, frankly, because you don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. And so the the play has original music. We wrote a, um, a, a, a composer from Chicago wrote. We wrote the music. Well, she wrote the music. I helped with the lyrics, but the um, the process of writing it has just been really phenomenal. And we've had a few performances, and we did a performance here in Iowa for the Alzheimer's Association at a conference, mm-hmm. and we did a performance in 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 Chicago and one in Los Angeles, and those were both for conferences on. Um, aging and spirituality, mm-hmm. and the the title, the forgiving and the forgetting, um, the 
the it's it's a, a story about a family and their different ways of dealing with dementia and the one of the main characters is a catholic priest uh it's his mother who has dementia and a uh sort of estranged uh daughter who becomes also involved in the care and it's how the family grapples with it approaching the dementia from different ways and it also shows the decline but yet how the relationships can continue and um because the main character is a catholic priest we've woven in some of those spiritual issues and we absolutely hope that we are communicating to people through this um this play that caring for our loved ones who are older caring for our loved ones who have cognitive loss um does not have to be a burden that it it could indeed be what i think it has been for you and for me lori it could be one of our lives greatest blessings mm-hmm. if we just open ourselves up to that so what we discovered is that putting on a live performance of a play is very expensive so that's why we videotaped it um we videotaped it that we videotaped the live performance in Chicago and made that into a play and so for example or you know we made it into a DVD so now people can have it for not very much money like we're going to have a showing at a a local retreat center here um and it will cost them nothing to to put it on because the DVD already exists. Mhm. So, um the DVD is about 80 minutes long. We did shorten it from the the actual script of the play is about 2 hours long, but we made it we shortened it so that it could be used like at a support group. Mhm. You could show it at a support group and then still have time for people to have conversation. we're going to show it at the retreat center and still have time for people to have a conversation and discussion afterwards. We could show it at a conference and still have time for people to have discussion afterwards. Yeah. That's which It's, is which is really nice cuz I, you know, I'm yeah. dealing with um get I'm one of the platinum sponsors of the film His Neighbor Phil and everybody wants it on DVD and they're still trying to get it on national um TV. and working out a deal yeah. and so they can't um but boy it could help a lot more people but it but it also needs to be facilitated i think i th- i think you need that talk back session um for for people to really be able to process what it is they've seen and how it makes yeah. them feel and you yeah. know where do they want to go from there i i think that that's a really really big piece um that a lot of times is overlooked with some of the other um pieces that people look at more as entertainment um yeah. and they really truly okay. can be educational on that emotional exactly. level. Yeah. Well, you know, and one of the things, I mean, art art just has such an ability to evoke emotions in people. Mm-hmm. Um in in a way that just for example a lecture may not. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we felt strongly about is that and and through our workshops too is that people learn through experience like in our week workshops 
you're learning by engaging body, mind, uh, heart, and mm-hmm. spirit. You're 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 fully engaged in these workshops, and then you get the opportunity to reflect on what you've experienced, and it feels like in that reflection piece is where we really deepen our understanding of what we've learned, of what we've felt, of what we've experienced. Mm-hmm. And I feel that way too in a, piece, in, a, in, a, in a piece like The Forgiving and the Forgetting is that you get the opportunity to now reflect on, on what you've just witnessed and how it made you feel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I think, well, because that, that gets to the core of passion, and uh-huh. and passion to me is what drives change. You know, it's 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 way more yeah. than just a thought. It's way more than a process. It's um, it's it's passion is is uh, something that allows us to believe it can really change and it can really have an impact. Yeah. And and to me, that's the that's a deal breaker. <laughs> you know, in terms of moving forward. And if you don't have, if you don't have that belief, it's not gonna it's not gonna work. You know. And I've I've felt that way, Lori, just having witnessed your work over the years, mm-hmm. that, you know, your passion has made such a difference oh, thank in you. this field. Yeah. Yeah. And I you know, I had the joy this summer of getting to see you in person and just experiencing that advocacy piece. I think I, I mentioned to you I'd never before seen that mm-hmm. uh presented at a conference. This is what we can do. And I am happy to report to your listeners that, inspired by you, we now have started a memory cafe here in Dubuque. Woohoo! That's wonderful. Yeah, that's yeah. Cool. There were another another person and I had been talking about it, and she also was at the conference that you presented at here this summer. And afterwards, we just looked at each other and said, "Yeah, we to do this," and we did. And so we we started meeting in October. Oh, cool! Meeting once a month. Yeah. So we're really really thrilled to be offering that that um that service here for our community well that's really neat that would be it would be fun to come back and and see what all has happened in a year's time because i think that there's was a lot of seeds planted um during that conference and um because i think when people start seeing how much is happening it you know it blossoms even more you know with that and um absolutely stuff so well our time is running short here i can't believe how fast it's going and there's still a couple more things i want to talk about and one is you know in your work with people with dementia and their care partners what has surprised you the most um well i'll I'll tell you one of my one of my first surprises um was i I, I mentioned that when I moved out here, I was in a, a doctoral program, and this was a program in faith, health, and spirituality, and, at a seminary. And I, I ended up doing a lot of my study in this topic, which is where the, the book evolved from. And I remember having a conversation with my professor uh, over some of the writing that I had been doing, and. She said to me, you know what really surprised, I guess she was surprised. Her surprise surprised me. She said, it really surprises me, Jade, to read this because it doesn't sound like you're suffering (laughs) as you care for your mother. Mm -hmm. And she said, this is so contrary to what I hear from other people who have loved ones with dementia. Mm -hmm. And so immediately I started thinking, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. 
you know, <laughs> that I'm not suffering. But the truth of it is I was not. Mm-hmm. I was not. I was I was in a process with my mother where our relationship deepened, our relationship healed. Um, there was all this forgiveness, uh, all this like deep understanding. And what was fascinating to me as I looked back, as I looked back, I, I didn't, this was, she died in January and the following November, I was looking through a file of family correspondence and I found these letters that she had written to me uh, in 2003, 2004, when she had, you know, in in the kind of moderate early stages. And um, she was reaching out to me. She was reaching out to me uh, to heal our relationship, which had been very, very strained and wounded over the years. She was reaching out to me. And I did not realize that until after she died. But people with dementia, they can still... That, and that's the other surprise is that the, the meaningful, loving, healing relationships remain possible. That was my biggest surprise. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think for me, one of the other biggest surprises was um, the the doom and gloom side that um, that more people didn't experience what I had experienced where people didn't even know it was possible or what you experienced. The, the joy. Yeah. They, did, they didn't experience the joy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I experienced so much joy. Yeah, I did, too. Yeah. And um, lifelong, you know, lessons that improve yeah. all of life, not just that relationship. But um, and, and it made me it made me feel sad that people didn't think that that was even a possibility. You know, they so they didn't they didn't look for it. They didn't try to create it um, because they bought into the the fear spin. You know, of the doom and gloom, yes. and this is the only way we can raise money, and um, you know, this is the only way we can get dollars for research is if we scare the bejesus out of everybody. And, right. And um, right, 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 right. Yeah, and and for those people that experience this as the worst thing that ever happened to them in their lives. And, you know, I had a really different experience of that, Lori, because the truth of the matter is is that we are all going to die. Mm-hmm. And I, I did not experience my mom as suffering. I think there's a lot of suffering and fear in the beginning stages, or it can be when people understand that they're going to be um, losing their memory. Mm-hmm. But then something happens. There's a, a transition that takes place. And people with dementia are just really here right now. Yeah, I, they're very present in the moment. They're present in their lives, and um, there can we can learn a lot from that. And yeah. I didn't experience her as suffering at the end of her life. Yeah, for me, I I always explained it that my mom lost her ego, and so yeah. and so the stuff that we worry about, the stuff that we yeah. believe we're being judged. Um, about the you know the things that keeps us on us our toes and keeps us uncomfortable and um, keeps us trying to you know um, dance to to another beat that that isn't our own that that's gone that's gone they're yeah. just totally accepting and you know I would always say yep. you know she is the she is kind of my rock she is the safest place I could ever go no matter what was going on even in her end stages. 
because yeah. she just didn't judge. You know, she was just yeah. there to support, um, yeah. even if she couldn't speak words. You know, yeah. that there's just, you know, she just taught me that, that there's a much deeper, more profound connection and that um, that unconditional love comes in many layers, which I yeah. didn't, I wasn't aware of either. Um, it, and I just have to say, Lori, that just brought tears to my eyes because I have to say I had the exact same experience. My mom became my safe place. Mm-hmm. She was always there. You know, she was in a nursing home. So mm-hmm. if I needed my mom, she was there. Mm-hmm. You know, she didn't judge. She just didn't disappoint me. She was always there, always available. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's you know, it's like she could provide those things to me that a daughter needs from her mother. Even though she had end-stage dementia, she could be there. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, and more fully in some ways than I think when my mom, and, and my mom and I were always really close and she was always very compassionate, but it was it was a much tighter, more intimate relationship the the further her disease progressed. Um, and it made me realize the deepness of the human connection. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I had the same experience. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Um, last thing, yeah. I just I want to um, just ask you: How do people get a hold of you? Um, if they want to have you for a conference or learn more about your your play and your DVD or your book, we really didn't even get a chance to talk about Where Two Worlds Touch, um, A Spiritual Journey Through Alzheimer's Disease. You have so many things to offer, Jade. How do people yeah, get a hold of you? you? Yeah. Well, um, I, my email is jadeangelica at gmail.com, and uh, the phone number is 563 563- Five eight two, four seven two four, and they can also people can also go to the Healing Moments website, which is healingmoments.org, and the resources, the CD, and which is called Meeting Alzheimer's Companionship mm-hmm. on the Journey, and the book Where Two Worlds Touch, are both available on um, Amazon, Amazon.com. Uh, the CD I believe can also be ordered through our website um and the the dvd if anyone wants the dvd they should just get in touch with me we don't have it offered publicly for sale yet but i certainly would be happy to make sure that people can get a copy of that Um, and also we have scripts available if anybody wants to do a live performance of the play we love that oh cool well that's love that yep that's amazing well i I said I just uh I'm a big fan of your work and I think you're doing you, you know some just you know helping change our our dementia care culture um on so many levels and so I just want to again thank you so much for for all you do really yeah. is yeah. amazing yeah yeah I I I really appreciate that and I just feel like we are kindred spirits on this journey and I really appreciate all you're doing too Great. Well, you have a wonderful holiday season. And again, um, thank you, Lori. Please reach out to Jade. Uh, You won't be disappointed. Um, If you've got a conference coming up or looking at some staff training um, or just looking for a good book 
um, or video, um, you know, go to our website. You'll find lots of great information there. Thank you so much. So, yeah, you're welcome. My pleasure and many blessings to you, Lori, and many blessings to all your listeners, too. Great. Thank you. For those of you Bye-bye. that are, are new to our show here on Alive and Social, you might want to check out Rachel Perrin. Uh, she is the culinary director for Kowalski's Market, along with Adam Lee, who is her producer. And they they have a lot of um, fun, uh, what they call them, food, foodtastic friends and colleagues. And they chat about uh, seasonal flavors, favorite foods, trending topics on nutrition, and everything that's kind of yummy for the tummy. They have a show that usually lasts, you know, maybe 10 to 20 minutes. It's called What's for Dinner Tonight? And they just, they just are fun to listen to, and you'll get a lot of great ideas. Um, plus, you can always go to Kowalskis.com. That's K-O-W. A-L-S-K-I-S dot com to get um, seasonal menu suggestions um, that will be easy for you to prepare in a little to no time. Um, uh, what else do I want to tell you? Here on Alzheimer Speaks, all of our um, shows are in the archive, so you can go back and listen to shows from, gosh, five, six years ago if you want to. Um, recently, we have had uh, an, uh, an author that wrote a book called Brought to Our Senses, which was about a family on a journey with dementia. We also had another author um, whose book was entitled Clueless, A Journey Through Alzheimer's Caregiving. And then we had recently a couple of um, programs on music and the power of music. But again, you can scroll through all of those and find out uh, you know, whatever perks your interest there, listen to them anytime you'd like. Uh, you can also go to Dementia Chats. Um, you can find that on alzheimerspeaks.com if you go to our initiatives and projects. And there you will find uh, our latest video that we did. Again, these are all done with um, having experts who actually are diagnosed with dementia. And they talked about caring for pets. Is it a good idea for somebody with dementia or just even being around pets, what kind of effect that can have. want to mention a few upcoming previews of His Neighbor Phil here in Minnesota. January 7th, we will be at St. Therese um, in Woodbury. On January 26th, we will be at Gable Pines in Vadness Heights. Then we're going to be back in Woodbury March 6th and May 20th at St. Therese. And uh, please check out our blog as well. There's lots of great information there. Have a wonderful holiday season, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye now. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great quick motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.